Jim Shoemaker, Jason Harrington, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. Well, welcome to today's program. We've got a lot of things to talk about. We're going to answer two critical questions that have come in over the last week. And one of them we're going to actually get into when Jason Harrington talks a little bit about some pitfalls, nine investment pitfalls that are really about managing money. One of them, we're going to get in and answer the question then. But Scott Jordan's with us also. And Scott, we're going to start with the real question that comes in from Gray. And he, the the, the UPS strike. I mean, whether we like it or not, that's looming. July the 31st is kind of the deadline. But we're talking about a serious, serious problem here. People going on strike and we have the Christmas season coming. What's your take? What are we telling Gray about the whole thought process of what to think about, how to look at it, and, and, and how to prepare? Well, these issues pop up from time to time. This is not the first union issue we've seen in history, but this is it's a big one, and it, it could have a big effect on things. You know, when you think back just a couple of years ago during COVID, we had serious supply chain issues, and, and we all remember going to the stores and seeing empty shelves and stuff. Well, I don't think this is that severe potentially, but I do think it could have a real negative effect effect on supply chains if they can't come to an agreement and they can't come to terms with this. And we see a, a even a temporary or a short term walkout. Uh, you know, now we've got somebody who delivers a lot of packages every day. Now you start thinking about all the people that rely on that businesses, you know, individuals needing stuff, businesses needing whether it's parts or inventory to keep things going. And and you can start to create real problems after a while. But, you know, I think, too, Scott, the reality is when Gray's asking the question, I look at it, it's the holiday season. And we kind of see retail depending somewhat on the holiday season. And we kind of mark some of the economic growth based off the holiday season. So timing at this particular point, if we see a walkout effective August the 1st, nobody signs anything, management and, and, and workers can't come together, the union and can't, you know can't get to agreement. The reality being that this could have a major effect on retail sales for holo- for, you know for the holidays. I, I absolutely agree. You know, the fourth quarter, especially for retail, is is the biggest quarter of the year. So you know, it is. I, I do believe they're going to come to an agreement. Uh, now, this <laughs> I is, love the I'm optimism. Just, I'm going back in history, and, and we're going to come to an agreement here. But I think what you're what you're looking at is is I think something we're going to see across the board in a lot of industries is continued increase in cost because of having to increase wages. Now, we're in a very tight labor market. We've got unemployment sitting at around 3.6%. So without union negotiations, employers across the board are having to pay people more to get them to come to work. So you throw the union in there. They know they have some bargaining power right now. I mean, you know, that's that's what unions do. They try to bargain to get their workers, you know, better benefits, higher wages, and they know they, they've they got a little bit of power on their side right now. So I expect to see a lot of them trying to use that. And um, You know, I think also with if, if, again, Taft Hartley is a, you know, act that the president has the right to impose, and that's that 80-day cooling off period. Now, 
some people think that Mr. Biden would not do that because he favors the union, but at the same time with retail sales in the fall and, you know, the whole idea of the Christmas season, the holiday season, it's a big issue there. So Taft Hartley might be something we see that's put, you know, imposed, you know, if we go to the strike. Also, this is going to create, back to what you're saying, a little bit of a labor crisis in the mindset that the wages are going to go up. You don't have enough employees. You know, we got people in Detroit talking about the Teamsters are talking about let's go on strike here. And so that's another possibility. That's an issue that we can see that really with the United Auto Workers going on strike, that's a that's a setback. I mean, that slows Absolutely. down. You know, cars coming around for right. next year. Right. And, and cars aren't cheap right now. No. I don't know if you've tried to go out there and shop for one recently, no, but they're but already not cheap. You know, we had coming out of the pandemic with all the short uh, the shutdowns and everything else. We've had a, a car shortage. Now, that has started to catch up. But, you know, another strike could, again, put the car companies behind in production and, and lead to more car shortages. And that's definitely not going to help costs. And I think that if we look at the third thing and the reality being that, uh, you know, this is going to continue to see some some degree of inflation. I mean, well, I don't think it helps the the picture at all, no, right? And, so, and I think it it does pr- potentially give the Fed a little more ammunition to stay on their rate hikes. But I think they're they're going to have to be data dependent on this. But this could, you know, with costs going up and and you know, with the companies trying to push that cost down to the consumer, we could see prices stay a little elevated and a little more sticky for longer. But again, I'm optimistic for a a, a settlement here. We're gonna. We're going to come to something. Scott and I live in that same silver cloud. (laughs) Silver cloud? (laughs) just uh, Yeah, well... I'm impressed with the people who are buying Christmas presents in August. You know, who are... are Buying Christmas presents in August? Well, I mean, you know, you were talking about getting Christmas presents sent out. I mean, that's You know, everything's going on right now with, you know, all the big big push for retail sales right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's a a thing that we see a lot of that going on. I think there, you know, the optimism is good, guys, but Gray's asking if it does happen, from a standpoint of his investment portfolio, what do we think that we should be doing what do you see if that's the case and this is probably going to be a boring answer but (laughs) this is the kind of thing that you can't build investment policy around these are you know i call these the crisis of the day the what's going to happen we're going to you know what whatever it is we're always going to have these and you know trying to get fearful or change our long-term investment strategy based on whether the UPS workers are going to negotiate a contract. That's just not good advice. Now, could it cause a little shakeup in the market? Absolutely. Because, again, I think this is the first of many. I think we'll see a lot of these negotiations going on. I think uh, people are going to push for higher wages because the power is on their side, and that that can affect company profits over the long term. But the other side of that, again, I'm going to go back to the positive here. It's going to put more money in consumers' pockets. They're going to spend more money. And our, our economy is driven by the consumer. So that's a positive too. All right. Let me let me throw this out because from a great perspective, I think I'm trying to think through why he's asking the question. I mean, I thought it was a great question. You know, what should I be doing with a UPS strike? I mean, that's you don't hear about the UPS strike on the news a lot, but this guy's thinking. So here here's a thought for you. If we if we don't have it, okay, that's one side. I appreciate that optimism. But let's suppose, you know, when you talk about raising wages, you know, and then all of a sudden, if that's the case, we begin to see a slowing down of the economy that gets out of hand, the rate hikes possibly, inflation does. But then then what pushes us into a recession. Mm-hmm. Now we all of a sudden having to shift the employment standpoint. We are seeing people laid off because of the slowdown of the economy. 
What's that side of the equation? I think that would, would tend to shift a little more power back toward the employer. And, you know, people start getting a little more fearful about having a job. They, they stop demanding so much. So there's always that push-pull balance in both of those sides. You have, you know, labor versus management or labor versus capital, however you want to look at it. And I think right now, based on where unemployment is, based on the shortage of workers, there's a lot of power on the worker side, and they're just wanting a little higher wages. Hey, we've had a lot of cost of living increases over the last couple of years. People are feeling the pinch of that, so they want a little more money on their side. So there's just going to be some negotiations well, that, that have a, to take place. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I, I hope we've given Gray a good understanding of what he's asking. And, and uh, again, I like what you said. It's not a perfect little answer where you just say, okay, this is what you do. You flip right. this switch, but you have to understand it. Let me tell you, if you just tuned in, of course, you're listening to Talk Money on 98.9, News Talk 98.9, The Roar of Memphis. We appreciate you being here. Let me tell you what else we got lined up. Jason Harrington, as I said, is going to talk about some investment pitfalls, and one of them is coming to a question about timing the market. And we'll get into that in just a few minutes. But we've got a very special part of the program in the last half of the hour. How did a cur- how did currency originate? What is it made from? I mean, what are, can you imagine? We're asking questions. Well, one of our producers, Maximilian's with us. He's, of course, the producer here at 98.9. And he's going to share some of these, uh, the, some of the ideas of the strangest currency in history. You're not going to want to miss this, guys. This is the I guy can't that, wait. I mean, I can't. Yeah, you know, he always does a great he job. He brings great he tidbits brings great, all the way. He all does. Way. And it's always those things that are kind of like, um, think about it, you know. And uh, I'm interested. He He's actually kept me in the dark. So, guys, I'm going to toss in the microphone and I'm running. Uh, oh, <laughs> I remember him bringing it up and saying, I, there's no spoilers. There's no spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, that's in the latter part of the show. So, we're looking forward to that. But let's Let's do this. I want us to go to the question. And again, Jason, this kind of goes through and both of you guys dive into this. But Pete asked the question, you know, can you help me understand the pitfall? And he actually, you know, I don't know if he used the word pitfalls. I'm adding it to it. But the idea of trying to time the market and, and you know, and I, I, I understand his question. I understand what he's thinking because I think maybe the UPS thing and you know you know, double, you know adding oh, more yeah. more rate hikes and all those things that go on. Should I be in the market now? It's up. You know, it's up for the month. It's up for the year so far. Should I get out? You know what I mean? I can mm. appreciate where he's coming from. And again, I think that goes through a lot of people's minds. And we talk about that a lot in the office where people don't want pain. They you know they don't want the stress of oh look what's going on with my portfolio. So. I want to give it to you, Jason. I want you to kind of help us go through this idea when you talk about pitfalls, and that's your whole topic, and we'll talk some more about what you might, if you're a listener, what you might be interested in to really give you a possibility, a thought process of a copy of a PDF that is called Nine Investment Pitfalls, Timeless Tips When Managing Money. We're going to offer that at the end of the program. We'll tell you how to get that. But Jason, timing the market. What is that? What well, are you talking I about? Think, I think Gray's question and Pete's question, they lay up really well to some of the pitfalls that we're going to talk about because they cover a bunch in just some really short uh, questions. But I think the timing the market is this notion, this idea that there is enough information out there to predict uh, a perfect time for me to retreat and a perfect time for me to and reinvest my money back uh, back in the market. And in doing so, 
uh, I can miss all the bad days uh, that the market has and only be in the market when the market's doing well. And it's that uh, natural tendency, as you mentioned earlier, to avoid the pain of watching your money, uh, you know, opening up your statement one quarter and seeing that the value of your money is down. Um, I think one of the things that, that can lead to this idea around timing the market is that investors fail to look at their portfolio over a long period of time. They look, o- they look at it over uh, a month or a two month period of time and see that the value of my account has gone down uh, f- from where it was pre- the previous month. But if they look at it over a 10 year period of time, their account may have very well been much higher than it was when it originally started. So this idea around timing the market comes from a, a short term perspective. It comes from this idea around uh, trying to avoid the pain of opening up your statement, seeing your account value down and trying to pick perfectly uh, the days that I'm going to be in the market and the days I'm going to be out of the market. That's almost impossible. What's the definition, Scott, of timing the market? Well, I think it's, I think Jason did a good job of kind of defining that. It's, it's trying to figure out, okay, uh, well, let's say I'm not in the market. It's trying to figure out when do I get in the market? When's a good time? I think there's going to be a downturn in the near future. I'm going to wait. Then I'm going to get in the market. Or I'm in the market. Ooh, I think things aren't sounding so good. I'm going to get out. And then when things feel a little better, I'm going to try to jump back in. And I always tell people, all you're really doing is introducing two more ways to be wrong, right? Um, because... You got to figure out when to get out, which is tough. Um, usually by the time the news hits the, the mainstream media, it's too late to get out. Um, and then the second decision you have to make is, okay, now when do I get back in? And we talked about this earlier. The market usually recovers way before the news gets better because well, it's a forward-looking mechanism. People are anticipating a better future, so they go ahead and try to line their funds up to take advantage of that growth in the market. So it's tough, tough to do. I agree. That's that is difficult for a lot of people to realize that that you know the market starts way ahead of the economy or where where the people get more optimistic. We think we're ahead of the game if we watch the news, but the the news is a lagging indicator. I know one interesting statistic, and I think you you had one uh, earlier this morning is when it comes to talking about uh, uh, time in the market. There's a 20 year period of time where. Uh, you look at the S&P 500 it, from 2000 to 2019, there was, if, if you had $100,000 invested in that time, it would, and you just left it, it would have grown to $324,000. Uh, if you missed the five best days, you know, in trying to time the market, if you missed the five best days, it would have only grown to 214000 You know, I, and that's a very big statistic. There's a book out by Barry James, and I cannot remember the name of the book. I, it's something about either investment principles or, or investing for the market or something like that. It had a big remember. impact on your life, didn't it? It did, but, <laughs> but I remember his name. No, that's I'm pretty kidding. good. That's good. I'm kidding. That's uh, better yeah, than I do. I never remember Barry, any Barry James. <laughs> that's, that's it right there. Barry James. Do I have a great producer? That's right. Do I have a great producer? Tyler Springs just showed me the book on the computer, Seven Timeless Principles of Investing. It's a paperback. Barry James. Wow. I'm impressed. You did really good there. But that book, and I think in the book, he talks about 
and I and I think this is kind of a mindset. I believe I can remember ten best days. Back to what you're talking about. He went back fifty years. Wow. He said the ten best days in the Dow. If you missed them, about half of your, you know, your your return, you'd lose if you okay. just miss okay. those ten best days. But if you miss the ten worst days, he says the reality being is you would pick up literally double your money. So that would be, you know, for me as the person listening or person reading his book, you'd go, well, I don't. That's what investors want. And and I think that, yeah, I think that's the kind of thing you go, boy, if I can just avoid this, um, I can profit on this big time. Right. Right. But let's go back to what we were talking about. It it is so hard. First of all, how do you pick? You don't know that it's the worst day until you're looking backwards. (laughs) That's right. Because the worst day is right before some of the best days, you know, and it's going to usually happen rapidly. Rapidly. Um, but I also would, would say, you know, now, you know, again, I got to get out and I got to get back in. And I now I think now there is there somebody who's done that before? Absolutely. Is it is it possible to do one time? Sure. I just think consistently you're talking about 50 years getting all those calls right is <laughs> I would say that's a statistical impossibility. But um, e- even so, I think the, the most reasonable way of capturing the long term returns of the stock and bond market are to just stay in them and stay invested because you're you're trying to get out to avoid some temporary discomfort. And I, I use that word temporary. You're avoiding temporary discomfort and you you take a chance on not getting those long term permanent returns. Right. That just sticking point. with the plan, sticking with your program. It's never comfortable to look at your statement and see your, your account value cut down by 20, 30%. But if you look at history, we know that the market eventually recovers and we eventually go on to go higher. I don't remember where I read this, but but I remember something similar to this thought process. And again, I think it's just one of those things that stuck in my head for, for years and years and years. You got Mr. Perfect, what you just said. If he's perfect for that 50-year period, never misses a downturn, never misses an upturn. He's Mr. Perfect. No question, that's going to be the best return. No Absolutely. question. Uh, yeah. And if, sure. if you can be Mr. Perfect, go for it. Yep. But if you might not be able to do that on a consistent basis, what I remember is two very timed, well-tested principles that are very good at, that is dollar cost average your investment in, Absolutely. do it on a regular basis, yep. or have a long-term strategy, invest it. 2nd of January, every year I invest my money and I just do it on a timely basis. And over the long haul, the bottom line is those two principles, those two ways of investing, dollar cost averaging and having a plan and doing it on a regular basis, they come out very, very close. I mean, I've seen study after study how close those two ways of investing makes money. All your 401k investors out there that are making those monthly contributions, they, you love a volatile market right now. You know, that they're making a lot of money for the long term when the market's down. Well, again, and I want to remind everybody, past performance is never an indication of future performance, but the reality is, it is what it is. We do the dollar cost averaging like you talk about in your 401k plan, or you're doing a long-term tested plan that you just consistent. I want to just go back to what Jason said because I want to emphasize this. We're talking about five days in 20 years. <laughs> now, right. you know, that's a that's a long time just to miss five days and see your returns cut down so by so much. And I think that just emphasizes how quickly markets turn around, how easy it is. And, and usually, like I said, some of the best returns happen really close to some of the worst returns. So you've really got to stay in there and be in there to make that happen.
Well, again, I think everybody, you know, just just for your information, we do have a PDF that we're going to make available to you called Nine Investment Pitfalls, Timeless Tips When Managing Money. All you have to do is go to Shoemaker Financial Facebook page, search for the document in our post. It's absolutely free. Download it. Just just go right ahead. It's called Timeless Tips When Managing Money, where it covers basically one of the principles we've talked about, and that is, of course, timing the market. Great information, guys. When we come back, we're going to pick up with Jason Harrington. He's going to continue going through some of these pitfalls. I don't think we're going to be able to cover the nine, but the reality is we'll cover many of them, and you can always get the PDF later. But don't forget, Maximilian is going to talk about the history of currency. Looking forward to it. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Helping you make the most of your money. Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Maximilian or Cumulus Broadcasting. The views and opinions expressed are those of Maximilian only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, your host, Jim Shoemaker. Welcome back. We're talking with several guys today and just having a great time talking about things that you've asked some questions about. And, of course, you have Jason Harrington. He's covering some pitfalls. Scott Jordan earlier talked about the question that came in from Gray about the UPS strike. If you've got a question for us, simply send it to Jim, J-I-M, on the text line, 901-683-0989. Or you can send that question to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. All right. Now, Jason, we're talking about pitfalls. Let me remind everybody, if you would like a copy of what Jason's talking about, Nine Investment Pitfalls, Timeless Tips When Managing Money, that's the title. You can go to our Shoemaker Financial Facebook page, search for the document in our post, and it's absolutely free. Just download it. No questions asked. Jason, we talked about timing the market. You and Scott did a great job, and that is such a an emotional thing for a lot of people. But what about this idea? I know it's a pitfall. I know it's one of those that some people just can't help it, but taking too little risk. I mean, they're just not willing to you know, invest for the long term, go through the ups and downs, the volatility. So they just kind of, it's almost like, oh, I just can't lose money. Yeah, I think I think taking too little risk happens in one of two mindsets. Mindset one would be just a lack of understanding of what the stock market or the investment market will actually do. Like this uh, loss of perception that, the market is going to go up and down. And so there's a there's an educational component to that. Just when I need you need to understand what the market does. The other thing that can help you re, that can cause you to retreat to little risk is just all the global uncertainty that's around. We talked about one today with the postal service, but I've been on the on the radio several times and almost every single time I'm on the radio, we open up the show with 
some massive news event. I mean, let's think about some over just the, the recent days. You've got the, the, the dollar controversy that we talked about last time I was on the show. We've had uh, recession talks that have been going on forever. We had the debt ceiling conversation. We've got unemployment. We've had war in the, in the Ukraine, inflation, interest rate hikes. I mean, there's always some sort of massive news. But you, but you guys said well ago that you just think of the silver The silver lining, lining. yeah. Well, here's the silver lining. Let's look at this. <laughs> Let's look I'm at this. I'm looking for the silver lining. L- let me give you some silver lining. With all of that noise, all right, in spite of all of that noise, the market is up from a year ago. That's the silver lining. I mean, the reality is don't let all the noise create the anxiety and the stress so that you're not taking risks. I mean, you have to kind of ask three questions to yourself. And I know you know the questions and you talk about these. Do I have enough growth-oriented investments in my portfolio to, for me to grow above and beyond inflation, you know, to meet my objectives for the long term? That's that's the first question that I think everybody, do I have enough Growth-oriented. Growth-oriented means I am taking risk. Now, we talk about this a lot, risk and reward. And, Scott, you know that that is where struggle is. That's the push-pull for a lot of people. That is, and and I like to introduce a, another type of risk when we're talking about this. This is perfect, is the risk of not hitting your goals because you're not getting the returns you need to hit your goals. And which now, one's the biggest risk? I think that second one I just named is the biggest risk for most people. Now, if you're if you've saved so much money that you don't really need a rate of return to hit your long term goals, by all means, put your money in cash wherever you want to put it. But for most people, based on our inflationary economy, we need to grow our wealth in order to meet our future cash flow needs. All right. So what you're saying is, can I accept the short term losses, the 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 volatility, in order to meet and agree? I mean, meet and and be strategic with my long term goal. And also know that you're going to have to accept that volatility. That That is what you get rewarded for in the market. If, if it were a smooth ride, it wouldn't pay as well. That's right. And I mean, one of the pitfalls in this paper, if your uh, listeners go out and, uh, and shoot an email to re- receive this, we'll see that the expectation that the market is a smooth ride is one of the pitfalls that you can fall into. Uh, you know, we, let's talk about that for just a second. I think a lot of people... Forget that. I mean, it's kind of like, I can, can you help me invest so I don't have the pain? You know what I'm saying? Is that, does that make uh, sense? I think, I think people are under the impression that that's possible. And again, it depends on your goals. We, we always start with what we're trying to accomplish and what type of rate of return we need to hit those goals. Uh, but for most people, we need we need some money in the stock market. We need some money in the bond market in order to hit those long term goals. And that is going to bring volatility in the picture. It's not may bring or could bring. It will bring volatility in the picture because, again, that's what you get rewarded for. I think it's one of the most important things you guys have said, honestly, in this program. I think it's one of the most important things I've heard from you guys in doing this program. You know, people cheapen it to, you know, a short phrase like, Nothing worth doing is easy, right? But you guys are there to make more money over time because it's dangerous to do so, right? If it were easy, everybody would do it. But there's some risk involved. That's right. You know, I think we could hire Tyler. Telling you. Tyler needs to be our marketing coordinator. He's got it. But, you know, he's been listening for over a year, you know. So between him and Max, they ought to know how to do our job. Right. In reality, one of the other pitfalls is to avoid talking to someone and to ask questions and avoid seeking professional you know, help. But that's know, our job. I, I think that's a good point. And I think people listening, I think 
it's not only avoiding, you know, meeting with someone, but it's also avoiding asking the hard yeah, questions. That's right. I and mean, questions are vulnerable. I mean, they make you vulnerable. They make you, and you, you know, almost insecure. feel like, I'm, well, I'm not smart enough. So if I'm not asking that, I mean, I, I don't want to look stupid. You that's know? right. And so they don't ask. And what we try to say, and that's the purpose of the program, is to help people understand we're in this with you. That's and right. And the managers that we work with are in this business with them. And yet it's, you know, so investing is not a smooth ride. Time in the market is almost impossible. I mean, you know, we say, Mr. Perfect, yes, if you feel like you can fall into that category, we've given you Two, if you're not Mr. Perfect, two ideas, dollar cost averaging, building a long-term strategy. And the idea is taking enough risk to understand what your long-term strategy is all about. I've heard Scott say this before, uh, not only in our office, but also to clients and, and on the show. You've got to give your money a chance. Uh, you know, if you if you don't give your money a chance to grow, then you aren't going to hit your long-term goals. All right, guys, we, we, with, we've got the remaining time here. There's two things I want to talk about. And, and Scott, you seem to hammer this a lot. It's a, it's a part of the pitfalls that Jason's talking about. So I want both of you to bring into this the idea of failing to diversify. I mean, it's like if I, you know, if I happen to work for a company and all my, the stock is offered to me and I put all my stock, I mean, I remember a company in Mississippi where a ton of people put their life savings into that company and that company was fraud and all, ref, you know, just all kept people still in prison for that. And, you know, and all of a sudden, boom, their whole net worth is gone. Right, right. And it's just one of those time-tested principles that we do hammer over and over. It's it, diversification. Again, it doesn't promise returns. It doesn't guarantee against loss, but it is a prudent method spreading your money out. We've heard the saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket because you don't know exactly what's going to happen. We know that, you know, I think investing takes a certain amount of faith in the future, a fundamental faith in the future. Now, we don't know which of those companies are going to succeed or fail or which of them are going to give us the highest returns, but by spreading our assets across different asset classes, you know, by geography, different parts of the world, by, you know, type of investment, I'm going to some stocks, might have some bonds. Just diversification goes a long way to mitigate that risk we've been talking about that people try to avoid. Well, it's right out of the Bible. Ecclesiastes chapter 11 says diversify, you know, because you don't know the future. I mean, guys, we don't know what's going to be happening at three o'clock in the afternoon today. And that, you know, regardless of whether, you know, whatever is going on, we just don't know the future and people think that they can plan and they can look at the numbers and this is what it is, but it's not. Reality is no one knows the future. I think another piece of that diversification, we hear that don't put all eggs in one basket, but I think when from an investment perspective is to also find investments that behave differently in different kinds of market conditions. Um, you know, you don't want all of your investment, it's just not just about having a bunch of stuff. It's about having things that work differently depending on what's going on in the world. And you see what was a bad investment last year is probably a good investment this year or, you know, and it's going to reverse. And, it's going, and you just let that be a part. But again, we remind everybody that, you know, neither asset allocation, as we talk about, nor diversification 
guarantees against loss. So we're not saying that at all. You're still going to have that movement and the volatility, but they are methods of use to managing risk. And everybody needs to understand it's not the perfect world. Back to Mr. Perfect. It's just managing risk. Now, that leads me to another mistake made when it comes to nine investment pitfalls. And you talk about this, Jason. It's focusing more on the return than on managing risk. Yes. That's not going to the opposite of where we were. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. No, it, it is. And it's, it's very uh, common, a very common mistake is to look back in, in history and uh, over the last couple of years and to try to see uh, an investment that's doing good. So it's last year's winner. Last year's winner. That's gonna... where I want to, that's where I want to be. And, uh, you know, one of the, I guess one of the guarantees with that is that if last year it did good, then you probably should have been doing it last year, <laughs> you know, uh, good you point. know, and one of the things that I, that we looked up is that if you look over the last, you know, a, a 20 year time period from 2012 to 22, nine of those years had an asset class in the bottom four performers that was in the top for performers the previous year. I mean, the, the following year. Um, and so it, it goes back to what you said. It's things that did, things that you did, you know, last year that were doing good don't necessarily mean they're going to do well this year. Things that were doing poorly last year doesn't mean they'll necessarily do poorly uh, the following year. So one of the mistakes you can make is trying to track those returns on a year-to-year basis and, and make your decisions based on that. I just want to remind you, we are talking about a PDF that we want to make available to you. And I've mentioned it many times. It's called Nine Investment Pitfalls, Timeless Tips When Managing Money. It's available. It's simply go to the Shoemaker Financial Facebook page, search for the document in our post, and uh, just download it. It's free. It's absolutely free. We want you to have it. It's a great piece of information. It's covering some of the very fundamentals when it comes to investing. And with what's going on in the economy and all the noise that these guys are talking about, these are things that can help you understand that you stick to your strategy. You know what you've got a strategy for. You focus on your goals, your time horizon, and your risk tolerance, and you stay the course. And and I think we can't we can't get any more fundamental than that. And I think that's important for people to know. And, and we just want to help you get through that process. And, you know, again, I guess I want to step back a little bit because, uh, you know, when we when you get a question from Gray about really what's going on with the strike and 340,000 people with UPS and what does that do? And that's a great question. And Tyler, I want to get you back on just a second. You had a question and I want to just kind of let you, because it was a great question that you asked at the break. And I think it's appropriate for our listeners to understand the question. And Scott, he's addressing it to you back to the fact that there's so much noise and yet the UPS strike is right at us. It's July the 31st. If it happens, it affects Christmas. It affects what a lot of things. The shelves are going to be empty. It's reality. But, Tyler, you had a great question. Well, you were talking about the power dynamics, Scott, and the fact that the unions do have some negotiating power, and I guess they're aware of that right now. For someone who's not paying attention to what's going on kind of in that realm, why is it that unions or maybe that particular union has a little bit of power right now? I think you were mentioning unemployment and kind of, can you explain a little bit of the dynamic there? Because I don't know a lot about 
unions, to be honest. Um, and I, I think sometimes unions and, and um, you know, the, like management are, are at odds, right? That's just right. The, the general dynamic. But how do you, how do you frame that um, for someone who's not as well versed in it? And that's a great question. And we don't, we don't um, interact with unions as much in the South as maybe in the Northeast or, or other parts of the country. But I, I think what I was saying is, is number one, the, the employees in general have a lot of power right now because in unemployment is low. So when companies need workers really bad, well, then the employee knows that and they know they can use that maybe to get a higher wage or whatever they need to go to work there. Same with the unions. Now, the unions add a different dynamic in that it's not an individual. It's a collective, right? It's 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 not, I'm going to take one employee and he may want more wages and he may not come on. If It's like, we're all going to walk out if you don't give us what we want. So that that is crippling to a business. They can't They can't operate like that. And then you add the fact that when there is a shortage of work, it's like, okay, if, if negotiations broke down and all their employees leave, how do they replace them? You know, it's harder. So I think that gives the unions a little more power. Uh, we also have a an administration right now that's a little more pro-union as well. So they feel like they probably have the administration on their side as well. But great question. Wow, guys, y'all, y'all just, uh, I mean, you know, what I heard Tyler say is that uh, he doesn't know. He admitted it. He said, honestly, I, I'm impressed, you know, I mean, but that's a good thing. And I appreciate the question. Very, very good question. So, but I am ready. You know, I'm so blessed to have two producers and Tyler obviously is here and then Max is here on a regular basis. These guys do a fabulous job of putting the program together. But we have something today that's special because Max is going to be here. He's actually in the studio. He's at the microphone. He is going to talk about strange forms of currency. I can't wait, Tyler. Tyler, turn his mic on and let's go, Max. Tell us about strange forms of currency. Well, I think you're going to regret giving me the mic. Yes, I've already <laughs> regretted it. Let's move on to the next segment. I'm just right. kidding, man. We're going to talk about the strangest forms of currency. And ironically enough, I'm going to go into the ascending order of ridiculous. So we're starting with, we've all heard the phrase, you are the salt of the earth. Well, in this instance, I'd like to talk about salt as a form of currency, Salt back in the day was a very common form of currency, even so back then that we got the for- word for salary from the word for salt. And that just comes from the for- Latin phrase salarium, which was the money used to pay Roman soldiers to buy their salt. Ah. As any good person, um, uh, you know, back in the day, because it was like had preservative qualities. So it's like buying Freon or whatever for your refrigerator. So it's like buying salt is more than just the thing that you put on your food. It was pretty much your livelihood rested on the salt. So you were worth your salt. You were quite literally worth your oh, salt. I'm hey, learning so much hey, here today. Hey, guys, I contributed to the program. <laughs> nice. Nicely done. Clapping your hands. All right, now let's get even more weird. All right. Before we go to Russia, let's go to America. Well, back in the day before 1956, when God We Trust was put on our currency, we had to counterfeit is death. <laughs> That's how uplifting. Right? How else are you going to deter? <laughs> Trust me, if I got a dollar bill that said to counterfeit is death, I wouldn't counterfeit. I'm not printing You would run away from that very fast. Absolutely. So the reason being that they called it to counterfeit is death is because, well, back in the day, counterfeiting was quite rampant. Before the U.S. dollar was a stable form of currency that it is today, it was very unstable because it's like, you know, you're pretty, just pretty much printing on paper, like normal paper. So it's like, how do you create artificial scarcity? 
you just tell people, hey, if you print money that you're not supposed to, we're going to get you. I'm like, to counterfeit is death. That's kind of the way that you create artificial scarcity back in the day. But I'm not even done here in terms of the level of weird. Oh, no. <laughs> Let me just remind you, if you just tuned in, I am talking with Maximilian. He is a production manager here at News Talk 98.9. He's talking about strange forms of currency. We've talked about salt. And every, I mean, you know, you're worth salt. The bottom line is it was a part of the currency. You traded salt to get things. And in God We Trust, before that was on our dollar bills, it really became to counterfeit is death. Wow. That's discouraging to anybody to counterfeit. What else have you got, Max? All right. Now let's go to medieval Russia. Back in medieval times, one of the weirdest forms of currency that they would use is squirrels. Oddly enough... Well, back in the day, you know, Boy, I have a bunch of those, dude. Some of my so it's uh, like, country cousins <laughs> still use uh, squirrels as a form of just get your BB currency. gun and just yeah. just get those squirrels. So back in the day, you know, like at market, if you're trying to buy something, you know, you either offer up the pelt or you use the snout or the whatever for change. The weird, um, a positive side effect of that is that back during the Black Death or the um, uh, the plague. Russia didn't get affected as heavily, and that might have been in part because, well, you killed all the squirrels to make your currency, and those squirrels um, uh, carried the parasites that carried the Black Death, and so by that logic, it's like you don't have as many squirrels that carry the parasites that carry the Black Death, and so you don't get as affected as much by the Black Death. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. And don't worry, we're not done. All right. This is the final one here, folks. Um, we have, let's go all the way to the Solomon Isles, in particular, a island called the Island of Yap in um, uh, Micronesia. And let's talk about the rye stone. The rye stones could measure as much as 12 feet in diameter and weigh as much as eight tons. This is not a movable form of currency that you carry in your pocket. <laughs> this instead is a form of currency that is transferred from owner to owner in a tradition. And where the value lies in the rye stones is not in you know who made it. Well, of course, that helps to an extent. But it's what it's made out of and what it took to get there. Because the rye stone is made out of a rare form of limestone that was not found on the Yap Islands. So they had to row their men all the way over to the local island of Palau in order to cut the limestone from the mountains and transport it back there. So you could quite literally say that the value of the rye stone was determined by how many people died in order to transport it there. That's a, you know, that there's got to be a silver lining somewhere in there, you know, from that standpoint when we were talking about. But uh, think about it. You got a whole idea behind that's a currency, a value to a group of people. And it's all about trading. You know, that's 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 the part that I think is so important to what Max is saying to us. It's history. It's putting it together. Anything else? Now, you said that was the last one, but I know you've always got. Oh, I've got more. more. Back in ancient China, they used to use knives as a form of currency. And that goes back to a distant emperor or a distant prince who I believe he allowed their soldiers to use knives as a form of currency back in the day. And it might have had like little, you know, like little symbols to indicate the value of it. But they also had green stamp money in Vietnam, so it looked quite literally like little stamps and everything, like little coupons. Like I remember yeah, when I was a kid, green stamps. Yeah, man, fill out the book. That became currency almost. Yeah, you get a toaster <laughs> if you fill out about ten of those books. 
<laughs> and if you want to get even more, and if you want to get even more interesting about edible forms of currency, let's talk about the ring, which is a yarn ball of turmeric spice, which was wrapped in coconut fibers, and it was used for trade for in the Solomon Isles again. So thank you, Solomon Isles, for producing rye stones and rings. You know, the biggest one I remember is the Netherlands and the tulip. The tulips. Yep, yep. that's a big deal with the currency. Boy, way to go, Max. Great history, great information. Thank you, sir, so much for providing that for us. And again, I want to thank also Scott and Jason, Scott, J- Scott Jordan and Jason Harrington for also providing us with a great information that we've answered some questions today. And again, if you would like a copy of the PDF that I mentioned earlier, Nine Investment Pitfalls, Timeless Tips When Managing Money, go to our Shoemaker Financial Facebook page, search for the document in our post. It's absolutely free. That's the Shoemaker Financial Facebook page. Search for the document. It's absolutely free. Next week, my guest, Rusty Leonard, he is going to give us an economic update. Scott will be back answering your questions. We appreciate your questions. And Shannon Dyson is going to give us an update on what's going on in healthcare. You don't want to miss that part of the program. That's Saturday morning at 7 a.m. and Sunday again at 9 a.m. I want to thank my producer, Tyler Springs, my producers, and Maximilian. We appreciate you guys. You do such a great job. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner, production and marketing assistant, Laura Norsworthy, and compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Max, I want to tell you again, man, we so much appreciate you being on the program with us today. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We're here for you, and we're here every week helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker, Jason Harrington, and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. This has been Talk Money with Jim Shoemaker on News Talk 98.9.